This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions. Because it's time to dish the dirt. On the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. And her faithful minion, Frank Proctor, <laughs> along for the ride here as the sous chef of the garden. Nice to have you along this morning. And Charlie, you're looking spectacular today, might I say. Thank you so much. You look pretty sharp yourself. Well, that $10 bill you slid me uh, paid <laughs> off, didn't it? Huh? It often does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this show, by the way, uh, just to let folks know if you're trying to call through, we are not taking phone calls today for a very good reason. Uh, from time to time, you, you try to read emails. Emails, but mm-hmm. gee, they get stacked up, and sometimes because of the volume of calls, we find ourselves looking at the clock and going, ah, "Haven't got time for any emails." Mm-hmm. So this show today is dedicated to all those folks who have taken the time and trouble to email you, Charlie. Nobody yes. ever sends anything to me. I was going to say they always contact you. You the get the diva jokes. Of dirt. I get the yeah, hard stuff. You get the hard stuff. Yeah. Well, we're going to put you to work answering some of those uh, emails today. But do you have any announcements that we should be making first? As is your want? Yes, dear. <laughs> Thank you so much you're for directing welcome. the show oh, as welcome, usual. My darling. Yes. <laughs> my darling of the daisies, carry on. Mm, yes, my sous mm. chef, not to mention under gardener. Remember the word under. <laughs> okay, so coming up uh, on Monday, this coming Monday, April 16th, from 6 to 9 p.m at the Toronto Botanical Gardens, there is a special uh, educational opportunity all about beekeeping. It's an intro to bees and hive building. Well, don't look at me like that. No, I just started getting hives just thinking about it. (laughs) This is a trend. People (laughs) wanting to support the the bees. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, consider hives uh, in strange places, suburban, urban environments. Toronto Botanical Gardens installed their own hives last year at the gardens and at Canada Blooms this year was actually giving out samples of the honey that came out of the hives. And did you know that honey is the only food in the world that doesn't spoil? Yes, yes, that's true. That's quite true. That's true. So we got we got to take care of our uh, little butterflies and whatever else uh, that uh, will pollinate the flowers and uh, the bees in particular. The bees in particular, because yep. it's not. I mean, it's all. It's not just about the honey. It's yep. all about the pollination and the creation exactly. of all the fruits. Right. There would be no grapes or apples or peaches or pears if we didn't have bees. Yeah, got to have that cross pollination going. That's correct. So we, so we got to support the bees. So learn more about bees and what's neat about what's going on at TBG. Sometimes they'll at Toronto Botanical Gardens. They'll have one educational opportunity in mm-hmm. the evening, but this is actually a six-week course. Now, oh, you don't have to go to yeah. all six of them. You can just register for one, but the advantage is if you do register for all six courses, you do get a 15% discount. And do you eventually wind up knowing how to keep a, a, oh, a gosh, beehive yeah. and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, oh yeah, kind of hands-on yeah. experience with the hives. And, I mean, really interesting stuff. I mean, it's I, I find it absolutely... Even in my first meeting, I think I'd go in with a hazmat suit on. <laughs> well, they do actually have <laughs> bee, bee yeah. suits, don't well, worry. Yeah, yeah for well, a reason. All good. right, so that's for more information or to register for mm-hmm. the program, go to torontobotanicalgarden.ca. Oh, 
Kane. All right. One more thing. Yes. Uh, Coming up as well next Saturday, April 21st, I'll be in Hanover after the show. I'll be jumping in my car, racing off to Hanover to help District Number 8 OHA, Ontario Horticultural Association, and the Hanover and District Horticultural Society celebrate 50 blooming years. No kidding. Wow. Hey, that's a, might not be a record, but a damn good average. That's right. Well, a lot of the horse societies, yeah, they have real long histories and and amazing people and and stories and photos and quilts. And there will be people there who have been, you know, there at the very beginning, Mm -hmm. probably. There will. Absolutely. There's always people that are just long term. So my topic uh, next Saturday at this event is designing for shade. And I'll be presenting this at 1 p.m. at the St. Matthew's Lutheran Church Auditorium in Hanover. Do you know where that is? It's a red brick building on Main Street. That's all I know. (laughs) Well, you can't miss it, of course, with that (laughs) description. I could be wrong about the Main Street, but (laughs) they did tell me it's a red brick building. My GPS, I'm going to put that in. Red brick building, Hanover. Oh, yeah. I got it all down now. No problem. Um, I'll be there, no problem. (laughs) Okay, that's great. And we'll return in just a couple of moments to, uh, number one, take a look at those emails, and Charlie will have the answers. I'll simply help out when she gets lost, which she will do, I know, today. Okay, you're listening to AM740 Zoomer Radio. Charlie Dobbin has zoomed into the studio already, as you know. I'm Frank Proctor, the sous chef of the garden, or the undergardener. Undergardener, exactly. Yes. I like you to remember that. Or her minion. (laughs) And we are dealing with emails today because... uh, It's email day. Yeah, it's email day. It's time. They've been piling up. Yeah, well, now now I wonder why Charlie gave this one for me to read. (laughs) It's from Richard Reese, and uh, Richard says, Hi, Charlie. You look beautiful on the radio today. And Frank... You're just Frank. <laughs> well, some say good old Richard Reese. Others tell the truth. <laughs> but no, all kidding aside, Richard has a question here. Need to know if there is a systemic solution to scale. Now, so, a wise and wondrous one. Yes. What say you? Get out your little pencil and paper. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, so scale, as you know, Frank, is an, in- an insect. And it's an insect that we've... Di- it's a very specific insect that we find on different plants. Uh, magnolia, for example, gets their own magnolia scale. Mm-hmm. Euonymus gets its own mag- uh, euonymus scale. So it's a, But the trick with this insect is that it coats its little body with a shell, and they're very hard to kill with any kind of insecticide because it just... You know, you hit the shell. Yeah, yeah, it washes the shell, basically. So that's why Richard's looking for a systemic insecticide, which is an insecticide that we spray the plant. The plant absorbs the insecticide, thus becoming poisonous. Mm -hmm. So when a sucking insect comes along with armor on... The insect sucks some of the juice out of the plant and dies because it's now poisonous. Ah. However, with oh, the oh, pesticide oh. laws that we currently work with in mm. Ontario, you there are no systemic insecticides left on the market. So, no. The answer is no. There's no systemic insecticides for scale. However, you can control scale by being aware of when the babies are born. When the babies first emerge from the eggs, they don't have their little armor on yet. They have to build it. So that's when they are very, very susceptible to something as simple as soap. Though I have found great success with horticultural oil 
and or soap mm-hmm. or even simple pyrethrins. These are low toxicity pesticides. They're contact insecticides that will yep. kill on contact. However, the sh- you have to spray when the shell is not there. I was going to say timing is the issue here, isn't exactly. it? Yeah. So that like Richard doesn't tell us what plant he was worried about there in that in that particular email. So if Richard wants to follow up with exactly where he's got the scale, we could help him more specifically in when to spray. Yeah, so next time, uh, aside from taking a shot at me, Richard, uh, <laughs> include, the, include the, the name of the plant you're I concerned I liked his about. email myself. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure you would. <laughs> but uh, no, that's okay. Uh, so for timing, it changes from plant to plant, obviously. It does. Generally, though, it's, it's the June area. It's, you okay. know, kind of May, June. But this is, again, early spring. Yeah. This year, last year, late spring. You know, well, this year, it's up in the air. I mean, yeah. who, who, what do you know? Is winter, summer, spring? Who mm-hmm. knows? Mm-hmm. Could so. be fall, for heaven's sake. I don't know. It's all weird out there. All right. Read me the next one. I'll read you the next one. This one uh, is from Leslie Morgan. Mm-hmm. Uh, hi, Charlie. I love your show. I have just... M- no mention of me. I just <laughs> moved recently to an older home in Brampton. The backyard is a nice size, but from what I can see, there are so many trees that there is probably no sun. The yard is so covered with leaves that were never raked, that all I can mm. see under them as far as uh, that is concerned is mud and moss. Mm. Should I try seeding at this time? Hmm. Great question, because as you know, we never want to leave leaves on our lawns over the winter. Now, in this case, obviously, brand new home. The uh, last homeowners didn't want to be bothered to deal with the leaves and moved out. So the trick is get those leaves off the lawn as quickly as you can. Now, if it's a really sparse lawn and you're seeing evidence of moss, then for sure that that's telling you a couple of things. Super shady, probably somewhat of a damp spot mm-hmm. in the mossy areas. And um, does that mean we can't have a lawn? Of course not. Oh, it's, drainage would be a good uh, thing. That's right. It might be a question of thinking, looking at the grades, looking where the water tends to accumulate, mm-hmm. making sure that there's no water moving towards the house, mm-hmm. that, of course, we're graded away from the house and preferably graded towards the outside perimeter of the property. So that might mean raising the lawn area up a bit, uh, sending the water towards the trees on the perimeter. Now, also think about an arborist. A certified arborist can come onto the property, can thin out those trees. Oh, let that sunshine in. Exactly. Sunshine, air, all of those are important for the health of the tree, Mm -hmm. but also for the health of anything below. So it might be trimming up the canopy, it might be thinning the canopy, but a certified arborist does it. So definitely go to the ISA Ontario, which is the International Society of Arborists, Ontario. Look for an arborist in your area, give them a call, get a quote, Perhaps that's a good first step as well. Yeah. Then it's all about top dressing and overseeding. Top dress, overseed, but overseed with a shade-tolerant grass seed. Okay, and you can find that at uh, your local garden center. And remember, you get what you pay for. Don't be buying any cheap grass seed because you'll regret it down the line. There'll be maybe crabgrass included in well, that or whatever. Well, there's a lot of annual grass yeah. in that. So it comes up great, and then it's gone in six weeks, and you're back where you started from. Yeah. So spend the extra money, get a good quality grass seed, and you will be happy in the long term. Now, is it best to get one of those uh, spreaders, you know, that you just walk along and it spreads the grass seed, or can you just just, you know, cast it. I cast grass seed usually, yeah. but for fertilizer, you definitely want a spreader. There's nothing worse than casting the fertilizer because you'll get stripes for sure in your lawn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they have handheld uh, spreaders. Mm-hmm. You know, you walk and it's kind of like a coffee grinder uh, for just making a nice even spread or or broadcasting works as well. But remember, it, in its, if it's an area where it's been mossy and well-compacted soil, 
you know, aerating that soil. Top dressing is adding soil. Overseeding is seeding. Light raking and uh, hope for rain or get your sprinkler out to uh, yeah. to get that grass nice yeah. and lush and full. Absolutely. Nothing nothing better than a really, really good looking lawn. But it does take a little bit of work. Well, it... it it does, but it's annual easy work. It's mm-hmm. like I say, walking along throwing some grass seed out is nothing. You know, it's it's yeah. not that tough to do. And it's worth it because you'll keep the weeds down and you'll also uh, look after, um, you know, the, the health of the lawn mm-hmm. by having a, a good healthy lawn. You don't get the weeds. You don't get the moss. You don't have any issues. So, and again, even so, part of that is fertilizing. So remember I said aerating that space right. if it's compacted, right. top dressing with a good quality soil overseeding without very good quality shade-tolerant grass seed, and then watering till it comes up and fertilizing. They recommend as much as four times a year, but I'm happy with two times a year myself. There you are, from the horses, no, from Charlie <laughs> from Charlie Dobbin herself. There you are, Leslie. Uh, Leslie Morgan sent that question in from Brampton. I hope you uh, follow all the instructions there, and uh, you'll wind up with a beautiful lawn. And and thank uh, you for in that. the meantime, uh, uh, Franklin uh, does his quick change. I've got uh, to step into a telephone here booth we here. Go. And I'm Cover going my into eyes. my spandex outfit. I'm covering yes. my eyes. I just, I'm this, doing my exercises. This is now. not my favorite part of the show, uh, having to see Frank and spandex. Don't look I've got you. the two little buttons in the back there. Oh, my gosh. My, oh, the back flap. Ooh. All right. Uh, oh, okay. I'm, right, I'm right. going to just right. uh, fill in everybody why you're put on your spandex. <laughs> Ooh, remember, Sierra Sil is something that both Frank and I use to keep ourselves active and pain-free because, after all, we want to be out there in the garden. We want to be out in the golf course. We want to be kickboxing like Frank gets out there all the time. He is something. You should see him in Lycra in the ring. Oh, gosh. Or is that Lycra and spandex? It's shiny. It's scary. So remember, boomers who want freedom to maintain their favorite activities with reduced aches and stiffness should or could try Sierra Sil. Uh, Sierra Sil reco- believes that everybody will feel better within 14 days, and if you don't, it's a money-back guarantee. Sierra Sil is available through the web, by phone, or at a whole bunch of local health food stores, such as Goodness Me Natural Food Markets in Burlington, Hamilton, and Waterdown. All the whole food markets also carry Sierra Sil now. Of course, by the website is sierrasil.ca. And there's a phone number, too? one joint 14 well, once again, thank you very much for listening to The Garden Show here at AM740. Frank Proctor, the sous chef of the garden, and of course, our uh, master gardener, shall we say, uh, is we Charlie say Dobbin. Yes, well, Remember, you are. I won the trivia contest oh, at my Canada Blooms. Oh, my never stop. The master gardener, first time ever. I know. Reach for the tree talks I, she's trivia She's standing contest. on a chair now, waving her Oh, <clears throat> gee. All right. Thank All right, you very much, wanna, yeah, Olympian. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are dealing with... <laughs> <laughs> no, no phone calls today because uh, we found that uh, they tend to pile up and we just don't get to them on the show, and that's not fair to the folks who've taken time to write an email. So uh, let, uh, let's uh, make it clear off the top that uh, we're dealing with emails today only, and we've got a lovely question here from Stella who says, uh, and it's about a blue agapanthus. I like uh, the way you say that. Yeah, well, I had to be coached, <laughs> folks, before I said that. I bought the uh, agapanthus in October to winter in a cellar. Now what? Well, it's set bloom for Christmas and is still blooming. Question is, do I put it back down in the cellar when it's done to winterize or keep it going upstairs? It's a new plant and bloomed one blossom in the summer as well. Thank you for any info. Stella, there you go. Beautiful plant. I, I'd show Agapanthus, you, yeah, okay. Agapanthus. I can show you a black and white uh, picture. Oh, yeah. of it. It's a bulb, right? It's mm-hmm. a, it is a um, tropical bulb. Aga, well, 
agape means love. It's the Greek word for love. And uh, flower, anthos, is, means flower. So agapanthus is the love, love flower. flower. Exactly. Ooh. It likes a well-drained soil. Typically, they are container-grown in our world because they would die outside in our gardens over winter. Mm. Full sun. And when in flower, regular water to keep them, uh, you know, let them dry, regular watering. So during the flowering period, do fertilize, uh, which is no problem right there, until about a month after they finish flowering. At that point, they need a rest. So they will flower, they will flower. At some point, they'll stop. Mm -hmm. Give them about a month and just stop all your watering They go into a dormant stage. Well, yeah, you want them, you want to force them into dormant. See, we get this with the amaryllis, you know, the Christmas flower. So again, to force that that dormancy, if the plant just keeps putting out green leaves and no Mm -hmm. flowers, just take the plant, put it into a dark spot, dark, cool spot, preferably indoors, not, Mm -hmm. not in frost. Water is very minimal at this point, so that partially is what will enforce that uh, that slowing down or dormancy. Um, now, g- the leaves will all dry up. Leave it for at least a month to six weeks in the dark. Leaves will all dry up. Then, of course, it's bring it out of the dark, give it a little bit of water. New leaves will start to emerge, and it will start to flower again. I mean, that it's that simple with any of these bulbs, that, but they do need a slowdown, a time, a resting time. And uh, no requirement in terms of repotting until about every four years. So mm-hmm. good to go with that. And remember, you'll get your best flowering with a root-bound plant. So that's why you particularly do not do any repotting until it is truly root-bound. I mean, roots everywhere. Loves a hot spot, lots of sun, well-drained. Okay, i got to get a peek at one that isn't black-and-white photography. Because you can. Agapenthus sounds like a really great-looking plant. It's a lovely shade of blue. It's really okay. pretty. Yeah. All righty. Yeah. Well, that leads naturally into mm-hmm. this next question, and which happily has to do with uh, potting problems and uh, root problems. It is from, um, let me see, Barb Blair, mm-hmm. who writes in, uh, Hi, Charlie. Enjoy our show. Very informative. I have several orchids, and one of them really needs repotting, as the roots are all over the surface and down the sides of the pot. When I move it to a larger pot, should I cover all the existing roots in the potting medium? Many thanks, Barb. Okay, now, you've heard this before, and absolutely no. Those roots are on the surface for a reason. Yes. Yeah, remember how... It's fed by air. That's what... Orchids do gain nutrient through atmospheric... Um, you know, possibilities, plus the the water and moisture in the air. Mm-hmm. So orchids are not, ter- most orchids are not terrestrial plants. They actually grow in little crotches of trees and in little bits of leaf mold and that sort of thing. So they're not parasitic. They don't suck anything out of the tree. They just use the trees as a place to land, <coughs> excuse me, and to grow. Mm-hmm. So when we have them in our homes in pots, there's no soil in those pots typically. If it's a well-grown orchid, it should be in bark. Sometimes we buy them in their styrofoam and all kinds of weird things, which you don't want. But uh, there, there is orchid bark. It's just a f- mixture usually of fir bark and other barks. And that's just the medium to give them some to, to sit on top sit on, of. Yeah, yeah and Grab the roots should be on the surface. They should be green. They should be full. No wrinkles. They'll have a bit of a silver skin on them, which is mm-hmm. fine. There's nothing wrong with that. So no rush to repot just because you're seeing roots on the surface. Unless... It's been many years. I mean, orchids should be repotted every two to three years, but mm. clay pots are preferred. And you can actually get proper orchid pots as well, uh, which have lots of good drainage. It's all about sort of good drainage, good air circulation around those roots. So don't cover them. Oh. 
Okay. All right. Okay, Barb Blair, now you know what to do with that, uh, well, several orchids that you yeah, have there. Terrific. Yeah. Guys, if they, she actually sent a picture along to us. She can do Sometimes that, Sometimes you know. they do. Sometimes yeah. I do get pictures, um, yeah. uh, We're dealing with emails, as you know, today, and uh, Charlie Dobbin's email address is very simple, C Dobbin. that's D-O-B-B-I-N, at am740.ca, and you can send along an attachment with a picture of the flower or plant that you're talking about, so to give a much uh, easier way for you to deal with the questions, too. Well, and sometimes it's an ID question, like, what is yeah. this plant? And we get that on the radio, right? and it's pretty hard to ID over the radio, so, uh, you know, pictures worth a thousand words. Right. Well, I'm glad I quit smoking, because this next question has to do with smoking, and uh, it is from, oh, well, let's see now. Um, our ward up there in Mount Forest. Hi, Charlie. While listening to your show, and I do most Saturdays, a question came to mind. What effect does tobacco smoke have on plants? I would imagine not the best for breathing. You may want to share with your listeners. Thanks for taking time to read our ward, Mount Forest. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, when I was smoking, I, I would I would be taking a big long drag in a cigarette, but I don't do that anymore. So and did you blow it on your plants? Um, I probably did. Really? Yeah. Well, you know me. I don't have plant that plastic. Plants. I was going to say <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the reasons you don't have. Plants. Yeah, that's right. Uh, okay. So real, that's actually a really good point and mm -hmm. a good question. Yeah. Um, tobacco slash nicotine is one of the original. Uh, well, you know, the f First Nations people of North America discovered couple of things about nicotine, which is where it's native to. It's from North America. One is that it was good for smoking. The other is that it was very effective as an insecticide. Ah. It's very toxic, highly toxic, as we know. And uh, one of the original, very first insecticides ever made was made out of crushed up tobacco leaves no mixed kidding. with water and sprayed onto insects, which caused them to die a very quick and disgusting death. <laughs> <clears throat> she loves doing that. <laughs> yeah. uh. So, so you, uh, the point that our award makes is you shouldn't, I mean, if you are a smoker, obviously it's best to smoke outside rather than inside right. and in enclosed areas. Smoking is never good for plants, um, partially because the way a plant works, their leaves, their surface area has these little microscopic um, pores, mm -hmm. kind of like our skin. You know, we have yeah. pores in our skin. Plants have something called a stoma or stomata mm -hmm. that open and close with the daylight, dark and light, open and close. So when, when they're open, you don't want to be sort of producing a lot of toxic fumes around the plant because, of course, it will be absorbing and that tends, well, gums up. You know how nicotine is. It's yeah, all yeah. the tar and stuff. Gums up the little pores in the plants, which is ultimately not good. They need good air. Um, you know, it's called transpiration. It's where the there's oxygen, carbon dioxide um, going, transferring back and forth. So those pores need to be nice and clean and clear and that you don't want them gummed up with tar. So take your cigarettes outside. Yeah. I'm, I'm just in my own mind here uh, envisioning uh, uh, our um, uh, where our ward up in my that he or she is not the smoker, but there's somebody in the family who is, and <laughs> he's looking we're, for we're ammo. Just, just ammo. We're loading up the ammo for you. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Take your smoking outside. Yeah. Well, no, yeah, it isn't good for the plants. Okay, that's. I that's, mean, unless they're covered in bugs, I guess then you could smoke and blow the smoke on the plants. It might kill the bugs. <laughs> uh, there's always a solution for something. He always comes up with something for us. Okay, got another question here. This uh, uh -huh. is, of course, AM 740 Zuma Radio, the Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin and Frank Proctor, your sous chef. Uh, nice uh, note here from. Janice McGinn. Hi, Charlie. Uh, my daughter recently purchased a new house in Kingston, and when the sod was put down for them, they discovered it had a type of mold that leaves a dust residue on shoes and feet. Do you know of anything that will get rid of this? And if so, is it too late to apply? 
thanks for your consideration. Okay, so one thing to notice about this email is how old it is. Oh, my goodness. This is an email from last uh, fall. Ah, okay. that's how backed up we got. Yeah, yeah that's right. So that And that sort of connects to the, you know, is it too late to apply something? Now, mm-hmm. what's going on, I think, on that turf is a disease called rust. Mm-hmm. And we had the conditions last year, so I'm talking summer of 2011, with all that cool, moist spring. Then we had a real dry summer, and then it started to rain again. Yeah. Perfect conditions for fungal diseases. Rust is a fungal disease. You'll know when you've got rust, and I've seen it on my lawn a few times in sort of August, September. Mm-hmm. You'll walk out in bare feet, or you'll walk out in some white running shoes, or something really white, yeah. and you'll get orange, you'll see orange residue on your white, whether it's on your sneakers or on your uh, your bare feet even. And so that's what rust leaves behind. It leaves behind these, but they're pustules. I mean, it's microscopic stuff, but it, of course it builds up on our feet when yeah. we're walking around in the grass. So last year we had the prime conditions for rust. This year we may not. It all kind of depends. Typically you won't see rust until late summer, early fall. So this is just something to think about, to watch for, and consider the climate as we as we go through our spring and our summer. If we have a lot of wet weather followed by dry, which is obviously what we had last year, yellow lesions will will actually start to um, emerge on the blades of grass. Now, you've mm-hmm. got to get down with your magnifying glass to see this stuff. They'll enlarge. Those yellow lesions get larger and larger. They start to mature. They turn to spores. The spores are blown by the wind or they're splashed around by rain. Um, now, new infections will continue to happen just through that splashing and wind, and it is a two-week cycle for those lesions to expand and be ready to um, be dispersed, the spores to be dispersed. One of the things you can do to avoid rust, you can't control the weather, but you can consider the following. If your lawn is suffering from nitrogen, you're more likely to see rust problems. Or if your lawn is suffering from drought, you're more likely to see rust problems. So consider that as we get to late summer, early fall. Do not let your lawn suffer for nitrogen. So that's a typical, right, you know, yeah. fertilize your lawn. And what, what numbers do you deal with there? Well lawn, well, lawn fertilizers are, the, you know, I always think of the 2177. Yeah. You know, the first number is the nitrogen okay. in any fertilizer. But, of course, when we're feeding our lawn, we're always looking for a high first number because that's what we're typically trying to do is grow green growth, right. which is what nitrogen supports. So any... Good quality mm-hmm. lawn fertilizer in late summer is a good idea if you haven't fertilized throughout the spring and summer prior to that. Uh, and remember the mowing. Mow regularly, water regularly, which is an inch yeah. a week if we're not getting rain, and do apply that nitrogen. When you're mowing, set your mower to a three-inch height. I was just going to ask you that because uh, too many people set it really low. I know. And that's The that's worst a no-no. thing. Oh, it's the yeah. worst thing. No, uh, it used to be the way, right? Do the kind of the golf green thing. Yeah. But no, you will not have a happy health lawn if you are mowing so short. There's a, you know, sort of 50 good reasons why you want to mow high. Mow often if you need to, but mow high. Okay, and by taking it to a, a garden uh, dealership, I guess, for your lawn mower, if you mm-hmm. can't do it, have somebody else who knows what they're doing set that blade for you because it really is important. It's really easy to and set. And have a sharp have them sharpened too. Yeah, professional sharpening is a good idea, but it's really easy to usually set the height of your blade because it's all in the wheels. Uh-huh. There's usually yeah. little settings in the wheels. I can tell you live in an apartment. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have a shag rug. When, when was the last time you mowed a lawn? <laughs> oh, geez, about three years now. 
Yeah, right. so it's usually, you know, uh, four little controls on the four little wheels, and you basically up down. Uh, and, you know, if in doubt, what's a three-inch height? Get out your ruler, right? Go mm-hmm. out there, mow a swath, get down on your hands and knees, put your ruler. If it's only coming in at two inches, raise it up, do another swath till you get right. to the three-inch height. Okay, that, okay. Uh, that sounds very simple, really, when you think about it. You it know? is. And no, I, I hope that uh, our uh, our writer... Uh, is happy with that little note. Uh, well, and anybody, yes. yeah, who has had any rust problems. Like I say, I've certainly seen rust on my, my lawn. Here, I, I've got something kind of fun I want to share oh, with yeah, you, too. Sure. This is something that I didn't get a chance to get to last year because it was kind of late. But remember we had that um, James Graham on our show, on my show, on our show, <laughs> last, <laughs> well, thank you last fall. Uh, he was He's with the Horticultural, he's the vice president of the yes. Ontario Hort Association. Yeah, nice and he was very sweet. Yeah, He had all kinds of really good ideas for us. Uh, now he sent he referred to a recipe that he had for dandelion jelly. Oh yeah. And I, we're getting to the time where I think it's it's appropriate to share this with everybody. And I will ask our webmaster here at the station to put this up on our on our uh, website as well. Uh, so this is dandelion jelly as made by Edna Wilhelm of Philipburg. And she's also a member of the Waterloo Horticultural Society, which is where James is located. So this has a delicate honey-like taste. Mm. Mm. All right. So first of all, you need a quart of dandelion blossoms. Well, there you go. What else you can do with dandelion blossoms? You might as well collect them. A quart picked early in the morning so there are no bugs involved from a patch that has not been sprayed. Well, no problem there. There's no more spraying going on. Four cups of cold water. One package of Serto crystals, you know, Serto is the yeah. pectin we use to, mm-hmm. to uh, uh, thicken up our jams and jellies. Four and a half to five and a half cups of sugar. So, you know, you might want to err on the side of less rather than more, but to taste. Four and a half to five and a half cups of sugar. And then one teaspoon of lemon juice or lemon extract. All right. Pluck the stems from the dandelion blossoms. Rinse the blossoms in a large pot of water. Remove blossoms from water. Do not drain water from the blossoms. Okay. All right. Boil them rapidly for three and a half minutes. Strain through cheesecloth, pressing out the juice, then discard the blossoms, obviously, out to the composter. Three cups of juice in a large kettle. Add the crystals and bring the whole thing to a roiling boil, which cannot which cannot be stirred down, right? So that's where you stir and stir and it, it doesn't stop boiling. Right. Add your sugar, cook for five minutes, stirring constantly. This is the trick with jellies. Add your flavoring, your lemons. During the last half minute, remove from heat, skim off foam, and pour into sterilized jelly jars and seal. Wow. And you will have made a wonderful, delicate, honey-like tasting dandelion jelly. Well, I just can't wait to try that on a piece of toasted 12-grain bread, and it would be absolutely delicious, I'll bet you. And what a great use for dandelion flowers. As you mentioned, folks, don't worry if you didn't get it now. uh, We're going to have that up online uh, on uh, under Charlie's name. Just go to Charlie Dobbin. Yeah, it's under um, hosts, I think, or host info or something on the website, on the AM740. And for that matter, you can always catch us on a podcast. Simply go to iTunes, and there will be. You can hear this show all over again. (laughs) And then take time to, you know, jot everything down. That's right. Good point. Yeah. What am I doing right now? Hmm? Um, Any idea? uh, You look like you're having issues seeing. No, no. I'm I'm blinking with one eye. I'm doing exercises. (laughs) And there you are. That's exercise for one eyelid. Now the other other one. uh, There. 
Oh, uh, you're not so good on not that. Not so good on that. No. no, but I am doing exercises. You need exercises. your lycra on your eyeballs, That's obviously. right. And let me get into my suit again. Here we go. And I've got a cape this time. Oh, my goodness. SS I in the back for Sierra Sill. <laughs> yes. I can't stand seeing you in that lycra. It just makes me, I don't know, it just makes me... Crazy. Crazy. Good. I was going to say cry, it's not but crazy's better. It's not a long trip better. for her either, I'm telling you. <laughs> All right, so Sierra Sill, which Frank is alluding to, helps us be active, pain-free, and depending on what you're, you know, everybody's got different activities yeah. they want to do. Some people just want to do eyelid exercises. Well, you think I was winking at you for having I, I thought you exercise. were. No. I just didn't want everybody to know that. <laughs> and um, Or, be, you know, certainly me, I'm out in the garden a yeah. lot at this time of year because there's a lot of prep for the season coming. Gardening is a lot of fun. Golf at this time is great. Mm-hmm. I mean, baseball season is starting. You know, we want to be active. That's part of a of a fulfilling, I think, a fulfilling life is an active, you know, pain-free one. And Sierra Silk can help. Very natural mineral supplements taken daily should make you feel better within 14 days. If not, Sierra Silk guarantees full money-back guarantee. Now, this can is available through many ways. One is through the website, Sierra Silk. Dot ca, or you can buy it at many of the local health food stores here in Ontario. Uh, one is Essence of Life on Kensington Avenue. Another is Natural Solutions in Sherway Gardens in Etobicoke. And the pe- peanut mill in on Welland in St. Catharines. In St. Catharines, right near yeah. you. So check it out in a store. You can ask questions. Check it out by giving them a, a check in online or give them a call at one eight seven seven joint 14 Okay, hey, we're back with our email edition of the Charlie Dobbin Garden Show here at AM740. With Frank Proctor, the best sous chef in the world. And Charlie's minion. And uh, I'm not ashamed (laughs) to say that. Uh, She doesn't pay me, but uh, she she is nice to me at times. That's, That's a big payoff. Okay, back to the emails here. Here's one from Maggie Taylor. She says, uh, hi, Charlie, I'm writing to ask for some advice regarding our hibiscus plants. Uh, We've had them for eight years, and they've been just beautiful. Unfortunately, this winter, they were in a room that got too cold. Their leaves have all shriveled up, and I was wondering if there's any way to save them. Any advice you could give us would be much appreciated. I enjoy your Saturday show with Frank. Oh, she mentioned me. And I'm amazed at how you handle those difficult questions. Obviously, you're amazed how she handles me, too. I was just going to say, yeah. that's what I thought yeah. that line <laughs> was so. going to be. So, so there you go. All right, so a plant that gets too cold and mm-hmm. shrivel, leaves shrivel up and drop off, a tropical plant like yeah. hibiscus, mm-hmm. what do you do when that happens? Because, frankly, what the plant will do is it'll kind of hunker down and go dormant yeah. and just go, oh, it's too cold, I can't do anything in here. So obviously a little bit of warmth, a little bit of sunshine, plant might stay dormant. Get out your shirt pruners, tip prune the entire plant so that you can, there's little buds all along the stem. You want to force it back out in growth, but of course you need that warmth, you need that sunshine Mm -hmm. and water as required, but pruning will bring that plant back if it's still alive. If it got too cold, it's dead. Now you're talking about pruning how much? (laughs) Uh, Just an inch or... Well, <clears throat> depends how big the plant is and how much pruning you want to do. Sometimes it's just a tiny little plant and you can only take okay, an inch yeah. off. Mm-hmm. But if it's an eight-foot plant, I mean, you could obviously take more than that off. But look along the stems. You'll see the bumps yep. where the buds are. And these okay. are little dormant buds. You want to force them out and wake them up. So you'll prune down to a bud, preferably a bud that's growing to the outside of the plant. Okay. Well, Maggie Taylor, I hope that uh, answers the question for you. And uh, I love the name Maggie. Our, one of our granddaughters is Maggie. Aww. Hi, honey. Just that's for not for you, Maggie Taylor, but my granddaughter. <laughs> oh, well, all right, for all you right. too. Okay. Di has started oh, talking to a right. lawyer as yes. we speak. <laughs> Here's a note from uh, Jack Morell. 
says, Charlie, I planed... This is an interesting question. Mm. Charlie, I planed down a lot of wood for my hobby, scroll art, and was wondering if this could be spread on the lawn and veggie garden to hold moisture as the city takes it in the green bin. Uh, the wood he's speaking of is pine, oak, cherry and poplar. Wow, mm -hmm. this sounds interesting. Yeah, so he planes it down so yeah. you can imagine all those little curls of wood, right, mm -hmm. when you're planing. So, yes, you could use that as mulch. Mm -hmm. Remember that there's, there's two times of the year we use mulch. One is in the fall to help protect the plants for winter, protect them from temperature fluctuations. Right. The other time we apply mulch around our plants is once they have started to grow, the soil has warmed up, we apply mulch to help with water retention and weed reduction. So, yes, a two to four inch layer of this planed wood could be applied around garden plants in late May, early June, because mm -hmm. by that time everything's warmed up and ready to go. Alternatively, the planed wood could be used in the composter, not in huge quantities, but, you know, two inches at a time yeah. in between the leaf clippings and the Vegetables vegetable and coffee yeah. grounds, all that kind of stuff. So 100% organic material, for sure, keep it on the property. But when you're utilizing it in places like composters or soil, do it in moderation. Yeah, you know, I've never heard of scroll art before, and it makes total sense to me now that I see it you know, on the page. Yeah, I can see what he's yeah, up to there. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to see some of that work. Mm -hmm. uh, Jack, thank you very send much. Send pictures next time. Yeah, send pictures. Send <laughs> pictures. That's a good idea. And once again, you can uh, send those pictures and any questions you have uh, for another email day that we're having right now. Uh, Charlie Dobbins' email address goes thusly, my friends. C as in Charlie, and then Dobbin, D-O-B-B-I-N, at am740.ca. And if you want to send pictures along as an attachment, that really does help uh, Charlie when she's trying to discern how to uh, tell you how to fix a problem, if you know exactly what you're talking about. And normally she does. Uh, sometimes <laughs> I do. But <laughs> yeah, not, notice not we have, haven't had any grub problems, but I guess it's a bit early in the yeah. year. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the grub guy. I'm <clears throat> yeah. the grub guy. Uh, we're going to have to take a little grub break cry. here. <laughs> the grub guy. Yeah. Uh, we'll take a little break and come back and uh, finish off the show for uh, this Saturday. And hopefully Hope you're enjoying all the uh, questions and, of course, the answers from Charlie Dobbin, the diva of dirt, here at AM740. And we're back with more emails on today's special edition for email writers only. And thank you very much for those folks who normally call in. Next week, we'll be back in action with the phones. But uh, let's get along to another email here. This from Heather Adams, Charlie. Uh, Hi, Charlie. I listen to the garden show regularly, even though I do not have an outdoor garden and enjoy it very much. I live in an apartment and have over 150 houseplants. Really? Wow. Yeah. Which I enjoy nurturing and taking care of. In general, the plants are all very healthy and happy and doing very well. However, However, I do have a, a questions about the watering of indoor house plants that I hope you're able to help me with. Are there particular plants or cases where the plant prefers to be watered from the bottom or the top? If so, how do you determine this? Is it based on the type of plant? These are good questions. <laughs> I've always wondered about this. When buying plants in the past, I cannot recall ever seeing directions. Uh, starting the plant should be watered from the bottom of the pot. I usually water everything from the top, and 99% of my plants thrive. However, there are some plants that I've never had any luck growing and wondered if this indeed made a difference. Great question. So, yeah, Heather, way to go. That's a, just a top drawer question. Top drawer. All right. Well, so here's here's the scoop. There are a few plants that prefer to be watered from below. And frankly, all plants can be watered from below. So if in doubt, always water into the saucer, below the plant pot, 
it will this the water will just naturally be absorbed into the soil through capillary action, mm-hmm. and the roots will access the the uh, water as necessary. The plants that should be watered from below include furry-leaved plants like African violets because you don't want to get those little leaves wet because you can get salt stains and actual burning from the natural salts in our water, unless you're water with distilled water. Uh, Number two, plants that are growing from a bulb or a tuber which that can rot, particularly a cup-shaped Tuber, like a begonia, for example, uh-huh. grows from a cup-shaped. So does a cyclamen. And when we water into the center, we can catch the water right in like, the top of the plant into the center. Rottage can occur. So watering from below is always the safest way to keep those plants healthy. Now, the thing is, when you do water from below, how long do you leave that water standing in the saucer, uh, you know, allowing the plant to, you know, absorb, absorb that? And you don't want to leave it if there's a lot of water still standing. You dump that out, do you know? Yeah, exactly. So that's actually a really good point. 20 minutes. Oh, 20 minutes? Yeah, give it roughly 20 minutes. If there's water still in the saucer after 20 minutes, dump it out. Okay. I think you'll find in most cases the water has been absorbed if the plant needed it. Very good. Okay. Very well, good is right. Thank you, Heather. Good I appreciate question, that yeah. question, as does Charlie. And uh, we have a note here from Stan Kozkowski, uh, who says, Hi, Charlie. We both enjoy your show. Uh, uh, is it time to cut back on the clematis? Mm-hmm. Renee, uh, that is, from Hamilton. Okay. So that's another great question, because clematis... The cutting back of clematis very much is determined by what kind of clematis you're growing. Mm. So when you plant clematis in your garden, always keep the label. Uh, Even if you tuck it in behind somewhere where nobody sees it or you put it in a little book and you keep a track of it, that depends on when the clematis flowers for when we do our pruning. Most people grow what are called summer flowering clematis. So they've got the big, almost star-shaped flowers, mm-hmm. Jack Manny being the, the most probably famous of that group. When you grow the summer flowering clematis, we cut them right back in the spring. As soon as we start to see the little furry buds starting yeah. to emerge, which was early this year with all the early spring, that's when the cutting back right down almost to about, you know, knee height or just below knee height, right through the entire vine for the summer flowering clematis. However, if you've got spring flowering clematis, you don't want to cut them in the spring because you'll be taking off all the flowers. So bottom line, those are rarely pruned at all. They're mostly just pruned to tidy them up and clean them up. So back to the question, you would have to tell me more about what clematis you're growing for me to identify when you can best prune. And that would be a nice time to send along a little picture of that plant to you. Perhaps, or at least know the name because it's easy. There are four types of clematis. Okay. And I, like I say, it's the four times of pruning are dependent on when the, they, they bloom. Right. Uh, and our little mantra comes into play here uh, as when we're doing a, a show where we accept calls, which is not today. Uh, the mantra is call early, call often, one question per call. Mm-hmm. I guess we can really <laughs> make the same mantra true for those who uh, care to email a question in because I had a, a terrific uh, email in front of me here from Donna Del Bello who asks four questions. <laughs> but we'll try, and deal, yeah, we'll, we'll try and deal with at least one and maybe... Maybe if time two, but uh, well, two one and two are pretty similar. Right? Okay, it's all about roses. All right, uh, <laughs> here's this. Here's the question she poses. I planted uh, rugosa roses three years ago, and last summer I only got a few blooms. Should I cut them down this spring? And if so, how? Uh, how far, and should I fertilize? Okay. So Rosa rugosa, which is a wild-type species rose, uh, is something that uh, they get very, very big, mm-hmm. all right? And they bloom on young wood. Right. So when you plant a rugosa rose, make sure, number one, you've got a well-drained, fairly fertile soil, 
lots of sun, minimum six hours of sun every day, mm -hmm. and lots of room, because this plant wants to be six feet wide and six feet tall. So give it that kind of space. If you don't have that kind of space, don't plant a rugosa rose. When do you prune? Early spring is the easiest time before the leaves emerge, because then you can see the framework of the plant. What do you prune? The old wood. So there's going to be gray bark on the old canes. Uh -huh. Right from ground level, you can take those out, encourage young growth from the bottom, bring the whole plant down. I mean, remember, you could half the size of the plant. Like if it's four by four now, you can take it down to two by two in the spring. And like I say, best time and easiest time is before the leaves emerge. And at the same time is when we fertilize. Well, there you go. Yeah. And I really don't think we have time for any more questions. We're no. just about out of race. But we're going to have to do with this kind of show again because I still have a pile. Yeah. So, uh, again, folks, if you would like to uh, send an email to Charlie Dobbin for a future show that we'll have in this fashion, <laughs> by all means, send it along to C, as in Charlie, Dobbin, D-O-B-B-I-N, at am 740ca And this is the old sous chef, Frank Proctor. <laughs> You're Thank not so you. old. Well, thank you. Uh, Especially thank you, in you Lycra. I would, you know, well, I mean, no, it's amazing. Well, no, of course. I, I, I want to suck my tummy wrinkles. in. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, our thanks to uh, our producer today, Kelly Schilling, yes, who's done such a superb job sitting in for Dave Gaskin. Yeah, thanks, Kelly. And thanks to all the great email senders. We will see you all next week. And in the meantime, keep tuned and watch for the Dandelion Jelly Recipe on our website. You got it. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.